0: I'd invite you to turn to Isaiah 58. Uh, We have two more weeks that we will be in Isaiah, and then uh, when we start the fall, we're going to be moving to the book of 1 Thessalonians, if you'd like to look ahead at those, uh, those chapters. But today we're in Isaiah 58, a chapter that the NIV entitles True Fasting. Let's pray. Father, as we come to hear from your word now, would you speak to us? through the power of your Holy Spirit. You are a teacher, you're the one that we have come to hear from your word. And I pray that you would take these um, messages that you spoke through Isaiah so long ago and use them in our life to challenge, encourage us, correct us, and build our faith. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a senior in high school, we got some serious news in our family that my dad was going to have to have surgery. They had discovered a cyst on his kidney that had filled with fluid and it needed to be drained and then that cyst needed to be removed. And my dad was a farmer and what that surgery meant was that there were gonna be some certain things that he would not be able to do for a while on the farm. And that responsibility would fall upon me. And I remember thinking about that, and one of the things that we were working on, my dad and I, is that we had, were adding on a three-season porch to our house, and it wasn't quite done yet. Most of it was done, but on the back side of it, there was still some siding that needed to be cut and put up. There was some trim work and soffit work that needed to be done, and I can tell you, um, I didn't really want to do it. I just, you know, it's more fun doing the framing or the bigger stuff. I enjoyed that, you know, where you see the progress. But this was kind of a little bit of a putz job. It was on the backside. I'm trying to do all these things to finish. And I didn't want to do it. And yet I remember getting up one morning. Nobody asked me to. I just got up and I began to work on this project and do the cutting and put the siding up and finish the job. And when it was all done, I kind of stood there and I looked back on that and I thought, something changed in me today. For me, I look at that, that was one of those steps in growing up where you go from being a boy to a man and you learn to do the hard things because they're the right things and people are counting on you. My family needed me to do that at that time. And I think for all of us, there are those moments in life that maybe you can look back on where you took a step that was a growth in your maturity. And we all need to do that, not just emotionally and physically, but we also need to do that spiritually. There comes a point in our relationship with Christ where we realize that, you know, this matter of faith isn't just about me. It's not all for my benefit, but God has called me into a relationship with himself to be a blessing to others and he's given me gifts and he's given me resources that are not just for me to kind of hoard and enjoy myself but he blesses us so that we can share and make a difference in the life of others and spiritual maturity takes place when we also learn to do the hard things that God may ask us to do because they're the right things and people are counting on us And you and I have the privilege where we can make a difference in other people's lives as we use our gifts in that way. When I come to this chapter in the book of Isaiah, what I see is that Isaiah confronts a people who were doing the right things, but for the wrong reasons. It was really very selfish. They were religious, but it was all about them. They were praying and they were even fasting, But they were doing it trying to manipulate God to get their own things that they wanted. They really weren't concerned with pleasing Him or with changing their life. They just wanted stuff from God. And it was a pagan practice. And then the surprising thing was they wondered why God wasn't hearing their prayers. You know, God, we're doing all these things. We're doing all the stuff He asked us to do. How come nothing's changing? And so what God does is he sends Isaiah to make it very clear what was happening here. The same thing can happen to us as well. Sometimes we can do the right things, but with the wrong heart and attitude. And if our heart with God isn't right, nothing's going to change. What Isaiah tells us in this passage, number one, is that religious rituals are no substitute for a genuine faith. Religious rituals, just going through the motions of faith, going through the motions of Christianity is not a substitute for a genuine faith and trust in God. This is a chapter that when you look at it, you might think is about fasting, but it's not really about fasting. That's just the example that Isaiah used. It's really about the kind of faith that pleases God. Why didn't God hear their prayers? Well, let's take a look. I'd like to read for us the first five verses. God sent Isaiah and he said this. He said, shout it aloud and do not hold it back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. The trumpet here was a shofar. It's that ram's horn that when you sound it is so clear and piercing, it gets everybody's attention. And God is saying to Isaiah, I want you to shout this out. I want there to be no misunderstanding of what I am saying. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sin. So he's talking to Israel, but who are these rebels? Who are these people that are rebelling against God? Well, the answer might surprise you. He tells us that day after day they seek me out. And they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So who are these people? These rebels where there are people who pray daily They seemed eager to know God. They even fasted and prayed. I mean, wow. I mean, if you found a church where people were praying daily and they're coming together and they're having a prayer meeting and they fast and they prayed, you'd think this was a good church. You'd think these people were serious about their faith, but there was something seriously wrong here. And they were blind to their sin. He continues, and he says, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. That phrase, you do as you please, is repeated in this chapter. They were fasting. But they were doing what they wanted the rest of the time. And their faith really wasn't making a difference in their conduct. On the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. I mean, what's going on here? What's happening here? They exploit all their workers? Isaiah doesn't tell us fully what's going on here, but what it seems is this is that you have some people that were trying to be very devout and they're doing this fasting and praying and they're resting from their work and they don't want to lose any income, so they're making their laborers work even harder. And they're exploiting those who work for them for selfish gain. They're abusive. They even end up in quarrels and fights, maybe because of their fasting they were having a low blood sugar moment and they were a little irritable and you know they just took it out on somebody else there wasn't change in their attitude or their conduct and then they asked God God hey we're doing our part how come you didn't do your part we fasted we're making these sacrifices how come you aren't coming through for us what's the point of all this I mean Well, the problem was that their fasting was all about them. Again, they were trying to manipulate God for personal gain, doing what they please. And God said to them that you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? You hear what they were doing here? They're just going through the motions, but it's all external. They look religious. You know, they're praying, they're bobbing up and down like they're praying, they're really serious about this, but there is no change in their heart relationship with God and there's no change in the way that they are treating their neighbors. And God makes it very clear that the reason he did not hear their prayers was because of their sin. Look at verse, look at, excuse me, chapter 59, verses one and two. He said, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And until that sin was confessed, until it was repented of and there was change and they dealt with what the problem was, they were not going to see any difference in their world. What God is looking for is the evidence of a changed life. He's looking for a heart that is completely devoted to him. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the scripture says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Isaiah used fasting as an example here because For most of us, fasting seems like a really serious devotion. You know, if you're going to do that, I mean, generally you're pretty serious about your faith. You're going to take a day where you do not eat so that you can pray and you set that aside to be with the Lord, and that can be an excellent thing to do when it is done from a right heart. But Isaiah also could have used other things. He could have talked about tithing. You know, tithing can be done in a way that honors the Lord, giving him those first fruits of what we make, or tithing can be something people do trying to manipulate God and say, well, I put this in the offering, God, why didn't you do this for me? He could have used attendance at worship or any other religious duty if it is done for the wrong reason. In America when we say in God we trust and we have no desire to do what God says does that mean anything? No. When we say in God we trust and then every year more than a million babies are killed in abortions. When we say in God we trust and we have no desire to follow what he has said about marriage and family If we say in God we trust and we continue to neglect the needs of the poor or those who are hurting and homeless, does that mean anything? What God is looking for is a life, a heart that has been changed by the gospel and that is so committed to him that it results in love toward our neighbors. Religious rituals are no substitute for a genuine faith. Isaiah goes on to emphasize this point when he talks about how God is looking for changed lives. And in verses 6 to 14, he's going to give us three examples. And in those examples, they are all set up where it's kind of an, if you do this, then God will do this. There is a connection between our faith when our heart is right with God and what God will do for us. It's not something we do to try to manipulate God. It's something to do because God has changed us and we want to live in a way that pleases him. So what are those things that God is looking for that are the evidence of a changed life? Well, that's what we're going to see as we walk through these three examples. He is looking for a life that overflows in compassion and kindness toward others. Look at verses six and following. Is this not the kind, or is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And your own flesh and blood here is not limited to like your family or your relatives, but he's talking about mankind. He's talking about other people who live in this world. True fasting is marked by genuine repentance, a turning away from sin, and it is marked by sacrificial service. Where our selfishness and our indulgence, our greed is replaced by generosity and service. It's part of that maturity that goes from just seeing the world as revolving around me to realizing that I have a place and a responsibility in this world to make a difference in the life of others. And so Isaiah uses, first of all, this example of compassion for the poor, feed the hungry clothe the naked don't turn away from your own flesh and blood don't be indifferent and don't say it's not my problem because each of us has something that we can do in this world you know as I was studying this week and I realized how clearly this passage was talking about feeding the hungry I thought some of you are going to think wow Rick you really planned this well you know taking an offering for feed my starving children and talking about feeding the hungry and I have to admit no I didn't plan this I picked out this sermon series a long time ago and it's God who puts these things together and it's interesting how this passage fell on this particular Sunday Did you know that every day more than 6,400 children die from hunger? More than 6,400 children every day. How many of those children have heard about Jesus? That's over 2,300,000 every year who pass away into eternity. We live in a world of haves and have-nots. And for most of us, Living in America, we are in that category of the haves. And as Americans who have come to know Christ, we have even more. Denying yourself in something like fasting is a good thing, but denying yourself for the sake of someone else is an even greater thing. It's the way of the cross. On the cross, Jesus poured out his love for a people who didn't deserve it, We didn't deserve it, but he died that we might be forgiven and come into a relationship with him. And when we as Christians deny ourselves for the sake of others, we are following the way of the cross, and that's what Jesus asks us to do, to love others freely, unconditionally, to give of ourselves because God has blessed us. And today we can make a difference in the life of a child and we don't know who those children are that are going to receive those meal packets that we will pack in October, but God does. And we could start today to even pray for them. Feed My Starving Children tells us that $80 could feed one child for a year. Is that something you could do? Could you make a difference in the life of one child for a year? Or two children? Or three? Or three? I think about when we come together and we pack those meals, every person who's there who signs up, we'll pack about $50 worth of food. That could be a goal as well to say, you know what? I'd like to contribute that to cover what I'm gonna pack that day. And our goal is to pack at least 160,000 meals at a cost of around $33,000. What would God want you to give? Look at what God says he will do when we respond to the needs of others. Look at verses 8 through the first part of verse 9. He says, If you will do this, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear, and then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. Light, healing, righteousness, and joy will come into our life. God will hear our prayers and he will be with us. And I I love that uh, end of, of nine there when you will cry for help and he will say, here am I. It's just the exact opposite of Isaiah's call to ministry when God said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. And he's picking up on that, and he's saying that if you will live this way, and if you will give yourself on behalf of others, then when you call for the Lord, he will say, here am I. I am present with you. The second thing that Isaiah calls us to do in this passage is to correct injustice, and we see it in the second half of verse 9. He says, if you will do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame." You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. Isaiah calls attention here to everything from gossip and finger pointing to more serious oppression. And you can think about that, you know, God doesn't want us to be a part of spreading gossip. He doesn't want us to be a part of those conversations that are pointing the finger and blaming somebody else for this or that rather than taking responsibility ourselves. Maybe in your workplace you've heard those conversations. And God doesn't want us to be a part of the gossip. Instead, he wants us to speak positively about others. Or if you have something to say to a person where there needs to be confrontation or correction, then go to that person directly and do it. Don't talk behind their back. And when it comes to oppression and what these people were doing and how they were treating their workers, their employees... There were those that were saying, hey, we believe in God, and then were taking advantage of their brothers and sisters, their fellow man. It speaks to issues of a fair wage or of treating people in the workplace fairly and treating your employees as you would want to be treated. You see, God is calling us to be salt and light in our world, and that starts right where we live and work and where we go to school. James 1.27 says that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's proactive on helping others. It is also preventative, if you will, in terms of turning away from sin in our own life. And the book of Isaiah moves from toward this ending where he takes us toward the new heaven and new earth. It's just like the book of Revelation where God describes what is awaiting us in the future, this new heaven, new earth that come together, this world where there will be no more sin, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more death, no more injustice, no more oppression, no more crime, no more violence. All of those things are gone. And what God asks of us is because that's where we are heading, let's work to make this world a different place today. And this world will never be perfect, but we are called to make it a better place by fighting against sin and suffering and injustice in our world. And as Christians, historically, Christians have led the way in bringing health care to people, and bringing education, and making advances in different parts of society, and we should continue to do that. We want to work both for the physical wholeness and well-being of people, along with bringing the gospel. It's not one or the other, it is both. And so we work to provide food and shelter and clean water. We fight to end slavery or sex trafficking. We work and fight against racism or poverty. We fight to end abortion and child abuse and all of those things we do in the name of Jesus. You know, I was rereading the story of Millard Fuller, who started Habitat for Humanity. And Millard Fuller, began that ministry in 1976, and he was a Baptist businessman. He was an entrepreneur. He liked to start things and grow businesses, and he was very successful at it. And when he thought about the church, he wanted some way for the church to be more visible in the world. How can we demonstrate our faith and action? And so he came up with this idea of building homes, or refurbishing homes, renewing homes, And getting Christians out of the churches and into the community to do that. Well, what happened was that that particular ministry became very successful. And in time, it was not only Christians in the church that were part of it, but it was like everybody was jumping on board to do this. And you had Oprah who was promoting Habitat for Humanity. You know, you had corporations promoting Habitat for Humanity and everybody doing this. And what happened was that over time, Some of the Christians backed out because it kind of seemed more and more like it was becoming secular and the gospel was being lost in the midst of that. And that grieved Millard Fuller because he wanted the gospel to be part of the message. He wanted Christians to be involved in these projects so the world would see the difference that Christ makes. You know, and I, th- I think that's happened in several areas, and I think that becomes a challenge of how do people know and see the difference that Christ has made in our life and in our world? When Christians started hospitals, but then hospitals become businesses. When Christians started schools, but then schools become something that's taken over and run by our government or education. When Christians were involved in advances fighting against Uh, workplace violations, or child labor laws, or all of those things that Christians have been a part of. How do we continue to be that salt and light, and what is it that God is asking us to do in our world today? There's a challenge there to identify those places, and the best place that we can start is really in our work by being salt and light. And living as God has called us to live right where we are. And doing it all in the name of Jesus. If we will live that way again in verses 10 to 12, God says he will strengthen us, he will guide us, he will provide for us. And for each of us, there are areas where we will be drawn to. There are things that we can do using our gifts if we will listen to the Lord and follow his lead. And the third thing that God asks of us in this passage is he calls us to delight in the Lord, to delight in him. And we see that in verses 13 and 14. In verse 13, he said, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, and if you honor it, By not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah uses the Sabbath as an example. The Sabbath was intended to be a day of rest and worship. A reminder that we are not machines and that our value is not measured by productivity. We were made in the image of God. We were made to glorify Him. We are made to have this relationship with God and one day in seven was to be set aside as a day of worship to delight in the Lord and in our relationship with Him. It's not another day off to just do as we please. Sunday, is not my day Sunday is the Lord's day and how does he want us to spend it well he does want us to come together in corporate worship and fellowship and prayer together he wants us to use it as a day when we cease striving we cease from our labor and we delight in him and in the relationships that he's given us It's a day for us to spend time together as a family, to enjoy those relationships that we have and honor Him. And that day of rest prepares us for the week ahead. It's like a vacation every day, I mean every week if you will, a day of rest from your work and a day to focus on the Lord and reorient the compass to what is most important in our life. Parents, what are you teaching your children about the Lord's Day and making it special and making it a priority in your life? Have you ever noticed how much God wants us to be joyful in our worship and service? He wants us to worship him with gladness, Psalm 100, verse 2. He loves hilarious givers, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He wants us to give with great joy. Jesus came to give us fullness of joy, John 15, 11. And when we delight in the Lord, he tells us that he will give us the desires of our heart. Psalm 37, 4. Delight in God is transforming. It expels sin, it lifts up Jesus Christ. It delights in God's word. It causes husbands to love their wives and wives to honor their husbands. It raises children well, children who love God. It gives hope in the midst of suffering and it leads us to heaven. And look at what God says he will do for those who love him in this way. Then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. Do you want to know God better? Do you want to see him work in your life? Then put these things into practice. Because God is not impressed by religious rituals. God delights when his people are so changed by the gospel that they give of themselves in sacrificial service they work to correct injustice, and they find their greatest joy and delight in him. Today, we're going to close this message with a video from Feed My Starving Children. I want you to take a look at this. It's one story of the difference that could be made in the life of a child, and then I'm going to come up and I'll close us in prayer, and we'll have our final song. Take a look.
1: he and his siblings. The way we found them, uh, we, wa- we are working with Hope again women who are producing different products and they are living within the community. Every now and then they have been coming to this home. The dad is a, a drunkard, he used to come beat them all and, and they, he could leave these kids for, for a while without food, without anything, so the mom wasn't able to keep the children and then eventually she died when she was delivering another baby. When the dad is off for days of drinking, uh, Brian, who is 11 now, is in charge of looking for at least giving their, uh, his brothers what to eat.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the Hope Again women walked into our office and said, There's a family where a child is about to die. We quickly went there, discovered that Emma was there. This boy couldn't walk. This boy literally did not have any energy, it was just bones. Emma by the by the time we found him, we did the weighing, and Emma was around nine pounds and and he was two and a half years. He didn't have any hair. And Joseph was also malnourished. And when we came, we thought the only thing that can rescue their health and the malnourishment is give them the fit my starving children food.
2: two mm-hmm. 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 mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Around f- 5 months or 4, Emma was able to walk. The hair is back and his his health is improving. And then, as you see now, Emma can be able to smile. By the time we came here, Emma couldn't smile. Even when you call him, he doesn't respond. But now he can give you a smile. And the rest of the children in the family, they are looking more healthier than when we found them.
2: We really
1: appreciate feed my starving children, friends, and all people in the U.S. who contribute massively, it can really make a big difference. There are really so many families that are in the same situation, because when we found them, they were totally hopeless. They, they didn't have any future, and they were not thinking of anything that can let them out of such a situation. And now, as you see, there is, there is a lot of joy. They can, they can afford to smile, because they have, they have hope for tomorrow.
0: Good. What a great story. And as you leave today, uh, the ushers will be at the doors uh, wait uh, for an offering if you would like to contribute to Feed My Starving Children. We're excited again to be hosting this event. Uh, you can sign up to work at that event starting September 14th. That's when it will go live uh, for those who want to be part of the packing event. And uh, we've got other churches in the community that are going to participate in it, so it will be another big event. Jeannie? Um, You can actually do it either way. You can make a check to Feed My Starving directly if you want, or you can make the check to Lakes Free Church because we'll send it all in. We, We usually send it in one check, so it's fine to do that as well. Let me pray for us. Father, what a joy it is to partner with you in your work and to see the difference that these meals can make in the life of children. And God, we want to make a difference in our world. We want to make a difference in our community. And so would you lead us as we think about how to apply this passage of Scripture in our workplace, in our school, and in our neighborhoods. And Father, would you continue to use us as a church to be a light for Christ in this community. Thank you for these people. Thank you for the way that you have worked in our midst. And would you bless them as we give. In Jesus' name, amen.